right. Praise the Lord. God is so good. You know, it's always a pleasure to be here at First Baptist Church because, you know, you come in early, everybody's working for the Lord. It's exciting to see that. We, when we visit, we go to your Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class. If you're not going, you really need to because you, they're always prepared with the Word of God. The pastor's always prepared. You have a pastor who not only loves the Lord and loves this church, but he loves the community, he loves the world, and he wants to see people saved. And it's just awesome. You have an awesome church here. That's, that's really great. Remember uh, also, don't forget it's Memorial Day weekend. And so remember those that have served because those that have served and given the ultimate price and paid their life have done so that you and I can do whatever it is that we do. So I hope and pray that whatever we do is worthwhile. Spending time with our family, spending time loving the Lord, spending time helping people, spending time uh, thanking and honoring those that have gone before us, that have made it possible for us to even be here in church today. Amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me to Judges chapter 3, verse 31. Judges chapter 3, verse 31. Because it's an interesting scripture. In between all of the great judges that you're going to read about, we're going to read about Deborah and Barak and, and Gideon and, and Japheth and all those, there's one judge that's kind of put sandwiched right in the middle of all that that doesn't seem to fit. It's just a little little line. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. It's just one line. If you'll stand with me and let me read the word of God to you. I'm going to go ahead and bring this up just a little bit because I'm real short. <clears throat> Judges 3, 31. And it says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who slew the Philistines, 600 men, with an ox goad, and he delivered Israel. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness. We thank you for men and women, Lord God, that will make a stand, men and women that will stand up and, and do seemingly little insignificant things that bring deliverance to your people, Father. And I pray that the word of God would go forth with power today. You'd anoint these lips of clay and help this simple story about Shamgar help us in our lives to use what it is in our hand that we can use for your glory. And we'll give you praise and we'll give you glory. And all God's children said amen. And amen, you may be seated. So what's amazing is we see this story right here, and we see Shamgar in the middle of all these judges, and it seems like it doesn't fit whatsoever. And it's important for us to notice that this man came along with an ox goad, and he killed 600 Philistines at one time. Now, you know, I don't know if he did it all at one time. We're not told in the Bible. He might have done it over a period of time. But I have people come to me sometimes, and they say, well, Brother Newton, the Bible's not exciting. Listen, anytime somebody kills 600 people with a stick, beats them and prods them and, and whatever, that's pretty exciting, don't you think? And the Bible is full of exciting things. The Bible is exciting. So here's this man. He comes along, and he kills 600 Philistines, and he delivers Israel. Now, it's important for us to notice the verse before this. It says that it was during a time of 60 years of peace. Now, why is that important? It's because, you see, Ehud had delivered Israel from the Moabites, and they had peace, and they were taking it easy, and they didn't want to have to fight anymore. They were enjoying their peace, and all of a sudden, the Philistines started coming in, and the Philistines began to raid Israel, and little by little, as they raided, they would come in and take all the sheep, all the goats, all that, the wheat, and they would leave, and then they'd come back again, and, and Israel was enjoying their peace. 
They had already defeated the Moabites, and so they didn't want to have to go to war. They didn't want to have to fight. They didn't want to have to make an effort. So they just allowed the Philistines to stick around. And how many of you ever watched a Spurs game, a basketball game? And you hear the announcer say in the third quarter, I was watching a game one time, and the Spurs were up by 19 points. And it was in the third quarter. And the announcer kept saying, hey, you can't let them hang around. You can't let that other team hang around because if you do, they're good, and they're going to come along. you got to knock them out now. And the Spurs didn't do that, and all of a sudden, bing, 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 they were three-pointer, 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 and they lost that 19-point lead, and pretty soon it was just minutes to go, and they lost the game. And the announcer said, I told them they can't let the other team hang around. And that's what these Israelites were doing. They were letting the Philistines hang around. And the Philistines pretty soon got the upper hand, and they began to, and the, and the Israelites didn't want to fight, so they just subdued. They submitted themselves. And so the Bible says there wasn't even a sword in the land. There wasn't even a spear in the land because the Philistines had taken all that away from them, and they allowed it to happen. And if they wanted to get something sharpened, a plow or something, they had to go to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines would tax them and charge them. Sound familiar? But there was one man by the name of Shamgar who said, you know what? The buck stops here. I'm not going to allow this. And so he took what he had in his hand, which was just an ox goat. An ox goat is a, a piece of stick. It's sharp on one end. It's about five feet, seven feet long. It's sharp on one end, and you would prod the ox with it. And on the other end, it was like a hoe you would take and you would scrape off the plowshare. So when that dirty dirt got on there and it clumped up and everything, you would shake it off. And that's all he had. But he took what he had and he used it, and, and it was an implement for a farmer. But in his hands, God used it, and it became a mighty weapon against the enemy. And he used that to kill 600 Philistines. Now, he didn't want to wait around. He didn't want to moan. He didn't want to wait till they had weapons. He didn't want to wait till they had another opportunity. He said, I'm going to do something now. And I believe it's time that we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ stand up and do something now, don't you? It's a time to stand up for what's right. It's a time to stand up for the word of God. And that's what I love about when I come to this church. I see people that love the word of God, and they love reaching out into the community. I was going to say when, when, we, when, the, when they presented the check for $20,000, I was going to say little as much in the hands of God. But I thought, well, you won't understand what I'm saying. But I'm going to show you in just a little bit how a lot of little seemingly insignificant things in God's hands over the years have worked up to where that check was possible. But it was because of little things that people did using what they had in their hand at the time to make a difference. And when God takes those little things and blesses them, whatever it is in your hand that you do that you may think is so small and so insignificant, when God gets a hold of it and blesses it, there's no telling what can happen. Jesus called Peter out of the boat one time, remember? And he said, Peter, come walk on the water. And Peter didn't go, well, let me see if there's some steps over there. May, may, are there tiles I can step on? No. He jumped out of the boat. He didn't worry about the circumstances. He didn't worry about if things were going to work out by faith. He did what Jesus told him to do. And he was doing great until he took his eyes off of the Lord and put his eyes on the wind and the circumstances. 
But what I'm saying is by faith, when we step out of that boat and we do what it is, and we don't worry about if we're going to be a failure or not, we worry about reaching Jesus and keeping our eyes on Jesus and doing what he told us to do. And when we do that, we watch and see the miracle happen. While others were waiting for the Lord to do something, some miracle, Shamgar said, I'm going to take what's in my hand. I'm going to use it for the glory of God. You know, I I heard a story one time. A missionary, Bob Roberts, tells a story about six small seashells. He was in a church, and he was preaching in this church, and he was telling the story how he could, in the the Philippines, he could feed people for 25 cents a day, or, or a meal, I'm sorry, 25 cents a meal, and give them a vitamin. And he, was, he preached his message, and at the end of the service, he was standing while people were praying, and a little boy, seven years old, came up to him and wrapped his arms around his legs, and he said, oh, and he started crying. And the missionary was distraught, didn't know what to do. He said, son, what's the matter? And he goes, oh, I, I have to tell you, when you were telling people about how we could feed people for 25 cents and give them a vitamin, Jesus spoke to my heart, and I knew I had to do something, but I didn't know what I could do. I just didn't know. He goes, but then God spoke to me, and in my pocket I have six seashells. They're my favorite collection. I take them everywhere I go. And and so he pulled them out, and he showed the missionary the seashells. He goes, I want to give these. It's my very best. I want to give it to you. So the man took it, and he prayed with the little boy. And he said two weeks later he was in a church, and he was telling that story. And an old, crusty-looking man from the back came walking up the aisle, and he said, I want to see those seashells. I want to see if they're real. And he looked at them. He goes, yeah, they're real. He goes, I want to buy them. And he wrote out a check for $100, bought those seashells. Little did that boy know that his seashell collection would give 400 people a meal and a vitamin. A seemingly small seashell by a seven-year-old boy that the Holy Spirit talked to to give his prized possession away fed 400 people, 400 meals. Isn't that amazing? So let me ask you again, what's in your pocket? What's in your hand? What do you have that you can give to the Lord? And it may seem like it's very insignificant. It may seem small. It may seem like it really doesn't matter. But it does matter. Let me share a story about leading up to the check that I was talking about. Twenty years ago, an old couple retired from our church and the, and, and the church that I attended to. We were voted in to be the pastor. And the overseer came in and said, it ain't going to happen. I have a nephew. The nephew is going to be the pastor. And we were distraught. We didn't know what to do. The people voted us in. But we didn't want to start an insurrection in the church. So I said, Lord, we'll just go our way. We'll go away. We won't fight. But I need to know what to do. Where do you want me to go? What do you want in my life? You close the door, open another. Well, one couple came to me. And I had prayed, and I said, Lord, if one person comes and brings an offering, I know it's you, and we'll we'll stay in San Antonio and build a church. Well, this couple took us out to dinner. And said, man, we... And they said, we're leaving. We sold everything. We're going to retire. We're going to go live with our family. And we had to sell our house and everything. We want this check to go for you building a church. We believe in you. Oh, wow. So I opened the check, $34. $34. And I had prayed, Lord, if one person gives me a, an offering, we'll stay. We couldn't open a bank account. It wasn't enough money. And they were so excited to do this. They said, God, put this on our heart. We want to bless you, Pastor. We just want to be with you. Oh, this is offering. And when I got it, I was so excited because I had one person. I knew what to do. 
And 20 years ago, we started Crown Ridge Church. We never grew big. We're 40 to 50 people. We joined with another three little churches. It's amazing how that happened. When I was saved, there were three other people that were saved about the same time. They all became pastors. We hadn't seen each other for 30, 40, about 35 years. And somehow, that's a miracle, and I don't have time to tell you, we all came together, and we're all in Malawi, Africa. Isn't that amazing? But see, if that $34 wasn't given, I wouldn't have started a church in San Antonio. Don't know what I would have done. It seems like a small, insignificant thing, but it was a big thing because it gave me the direction that I needed to go in my life. And because of us joining together, we founded two Bible schools, We have an orphanage. We have 10 churches now, and there's churches that want to join. We have three Bible schools, actually, because Sinai Gray, the one that you built a church for, is starting a Bible school. And he's taken the books that he had, and he's just giving lessons to other people. And he's teaching them about Jesus. And he goes out into the community, and he teaches people about Jesus, invites them back in. and, and, And in their church service, he teaches them about the Word of God. You see what I'm saying? All from a seemingly insignificant little $34 check. Now, here's here's another part of the story. My son, Stephen, one day was sitting right over there, and he heard that you all, uh, First Baptist Church, was going down on the streets of San Antonio. So he said, I would like to go. And that surprised me because my son doesn't usually go out evangelizing like that. That's just not his nature. Well, he went, and on the streets, they found a lady. And she had a pre-teenage son. And he got talking and found out that she was really down and out. So he had a rental house, and he offered to put this lady in one of his rental houses at a great expense to him because he needed the money from that rental house desperately at that time. But he said, you know what? I believe the Lord sent me down on the streets. A seemingly small thing. He took advantage of something your church was doing. Hello? It was a seemingly small thing. He went to the streets. He was touched by the Holy Spirit, put this family into his rental house. Well, guess what? He said, Dad, I need some help. we got to move some furniture in. We have no furniture. I said, where are you going to get the furniture? He goes, well, there's a lady by the name of Tina in our church, and she had, there's a center right next door here, and we have furniture there, and I need you to come help me, and we're going to take some things and bring it over to this lady's house. Well, guess what happened? I helped him, came to First Baptist Church, met Tina. Tina said, what do you do? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) And I began to share with her about Malawi. And she said, wow, you need to meet our pastor. And I met your pastor. And Pastor knows, and I went out for coffee one morning. I began to share the vision. And he bought into the vision. He said, wow. He goes, let me present that to the church. And he challenged the church. And the church responded. And you all gave $22,000 already. And plus this check, that's $42,000 total that came from a seemingly insignificant little $34 check. You see what I'm saying? And I can trace that $34 check back another 10 years. And I could be here all day telling you how little insignificant things made a difference. And when you and I take the little bit that we have in our hand, whatever that opportunity is, whatever it is, and we use it for God, God can take that. And we may not see the end results. We see just a small part of it. But God has a plan, and he works that plan. It's just an awesome thing when I think about it. 
One day in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, there was a woman who came, and remember, and she poured out an alabaster box of oil on the Lord. And do you remember what the disciples did? The disciples, and that story is in Mark 14, uh, verses 5, 6, somewhere in that area. And, and what the disciples did, they said, you're giving too much. That's expensive. You're giving too much. And what did Jesus say? Hush. Hush. She's doing what she can. She's doing what she can. And so I want to challenge us this morning to do what we can, to use whatever it is that's in our hand. If you're going into the hairdresser shop, ladies, minister. If you're going to the auto shop, guys, minister. Wherever we go, whatever we do. Some people, they're a mechanic. You have wrenches in your hand. Use those wrenches for the glory of God. Amen. Tina goes to Eagle Pass, I believe, every year. And there's things that you can do. Somebody says, well, I don't have any skills. I heard a man one time, he goes, well, I don't have any skills, and I'm too ugly to witness. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're too ugly. God can use a donkey to talk to a backslidden prophet. He surely could use your ugly face to talk to somebody. Hello. Come on. You see what I'm saying? I remember reading about the Welsh revival. I don't, how many of you ever read about the Welsh revival that happened? It was an awesome, awesome revival, and it's an amazing thing. There was a, a, it happened in Quay, South Wales, 1904. A young girl named Lonnie Evans, she stood up. She was real nervous. Her voice was real shaky, and she says, oh, I do love Jesus, and she sat down. A seemingly small thing, oh, I do love Jesus, but that saying, if you get on the internet, you read the story, it's awesome. They'll put goosebumps up you. Because that saying went down the street to another church, and down the street to another church, and down the street. And pretty soon people were standing up testifying, saying, oh, I do love Jesus. And that revival was, was the beginning of a fire that started a revival that went around the world. All because a young girl. I remember we were in Africa one time, and Don was preaching, and a girl that knew no English, it testified, the people that knew her said she knew not one word of English. She stood up when he was preaching and she says, oh, please come back and tell us about Jesus. And Donnie was there and he goes, well, who said that? And everybody was looking around and nobody knew. And it came out to be a young teenage girl. And she did not know one bit of English. Her parents testified, the people testified. Lester said, this girl never spoke English before. And yet she asked us to come back to preach the gospel. Isn't that amazing? And we think that we don't serve a God who's all-knowing, all-caring. Oh, our God is awesome. He's awesome. When we use the little bit we have for the Lord, God can take that little bit that we have and he can turn it into something big and something beautiful. Amen? Because that's how God works. And I'm reminded of David's mighty men. I love to talk about David's mighty men wherever I go, whatever I do. David, had, David was about to die. King David, the greatest king that there ever was. A man after God's own heart. He's about to die. And he says, I want to honor my mighty men. So when I read that years ago, I thought, wow, these are going to be men that conquer cities. These are going to be men that do great exploits. These are going to be awesome men of God. And so I wanted to read about them. And I started reading about them, 2 Samuel 23, 9 through 10. It says the first was Adino. Oh, I want to know about Adino. He lifted up his spear against 800 of whom he slew at one time. 
I don't know about you, but if I was the enemy and there was an Israelite up there with a spear and he killed 50 men, I might say maybe 100 men, 200 men, 300 men. About that time, I might have said, feet don't fail me now because I'm going to turn around and go the other direction. There's something about this guy, huh? He was a powerful man that God used. And, he, and, and this was a man who used what he had in his hand. And as long as he stood his ground, God gave him a victory. And then right after him was another man. These are mighty men. And listen, Paul said in, in Romans, he said, you and I are more than conquerors. We want to read about mighty men, but you are more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. Why? Because of the love of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, what can separate me from the love of God? And he lists nine things, and not one of those things can separate you. And when we're in Africa, we talk about famine. That's one of them. There's not one thing that can separate you from the love of God, and that makes you more than a conqueror. That makes me more than a conqueror. If I was a conqueror, that'd be wonderful, but I am more than a conqueror. Amen. And the love of God, when we love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and we use the opportunities that we have, we take advantage of those opportunities that we have, think about it. God can take those little things and multiply them. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, oh, Pastor Steve, I, I just need a miracle in my life. My whole life's all messed up. You know what? That's when God can do a miracle in your life. When Moses was at the Red Sea, and he couldn't go to the right or the left, he couldn't go behind him because Pharaoh was behind him. There was nothing but a Red Sea in front of him. When God puts you in a situation like that, better look up because you're about to get a miracle. That Red Sea is about to part for you. You are more than a conqueror. Don't ever give up. Don't ever listen to a lie of the devil that tells you you're nothing and it's never going to work out for you. You serve a living God. You serve a living God that's alive, amen, and he's able to do miracles for his people. Now, the first was Adino, and after Adino, Adino used what he had. He was available, and God blessed him for that. Shamgar did the same thing. He used what he had, and God took him, and God delivered Israel because one person <clears throat> did what they could do and took advantage of what they had. God will deliver your family. God will deliver you. God will deliver a church. God can do great and mighty things when people stand up and make a difference. Amen? The second after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, <clears throat> the Ahorite. Let me just read this. It says, and one of the mighty men with David, when they defended the Philistines that were there, <clears throat> gathered together to battle. And one of the men of, and all of the men of Israel were gone. So here was a guy, he goes out, his name is Eleazar, he's going out to fight the enemy, and all the people are with him, his, his buddies, all the men. And so they go out into the field, and I can just see them, yeah, we're going to get these guys, come on, be strong. And they're all talking to talk, you know what I'm talking about. They're all talking to talk. And the Philistines come up over the hill, and there's Eleazar. Hey, God. And he looks around, and they're all gone. When they saw the enemy, they ran. <clears throat> but Eleazar said, I am not running. King David sent me here to defend this patch. They steal our bean patch every single year. It seems like a small thing. I am not going to budge. And the Bible says that as long as his hand claved to the sword all day long, God gave him the victory. And at the end of the day, they had to pry his hand from the sword. It didn't say he died. He might have, but it didn't say that. He got a victory as long as he was willing to stand. Listen, when Satan comes in and tries to steal your children, 
You got a rebellious child, maybe. Maybe some people with drugs come in and they try to influence somebody in your family. Don't give up. Grab the word of God. Plead the word of God. Be like Moses' mother. Pray over that basket. Cover that child with the word of God. Cover that child with prayer. Cover that child with fasting. We have a prayer box in our church that we put under the cross. And at 9 o'clock every morning, we pray for names that are in that box. And we had one lady who had a, a son, and he left. And he said, I don't give a blankety-blank-blank blank about your God. I don't care. And he used every kind of profanity you can, slammed the door and went shut. Guess what? Billy Sunday said, there's not enough demons in hell to pull a boy or a girl away from a praying mother on her knees. You get on your knees and pray and watch and see God has a way of sinking the hook. <laughs> you, they can run all they want to, but God's got a way of sinking. Don't give up. Stand your, your ground. Some of you are teaching Sunday school class, and, and you wonder if it's worthwhile, or you work with kids, and you wonder if it's worthwhile, or you do a work in the sanctuary, you wonder if it's worthwhile. Does anybody care? Does anybody know? It's worthwhile. Don't give up. As long as we're standing our ground, a seemingly insignificant little bean patch or a barley patch, God will give us the victory. <clears throat> so I ask you again, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Well, I don't have the opportunities. You have all kinds of opportunities. This church is full of opportunities. You have a food drive. Hello. What's, what would happen if you just came and volunteered at the food drive and said, I'm going to go up and down the line praying with people? Do you know that we brought the food drive to this church? We used to have it at our little church. Mary and I got old. We just couldn't lift them. We couldn't do the way we wanted to do. We did it for five years. And when we came, you guys volunteered to do it. And then you volunteered to do it again. And then again and again. And pretty soon, and now it's your food drive. Hello. And what we would do is we would go up and down and we would ask people, hey, can I pray for you? Is there something I can pray with you about? And, and sure enough, some lady, oh, well, my knee hurts. Well, let me just pray with you right now. And, and somebody else would be right there and they'd say, Oh, while you're praying, my son or my daughter is looking for a job. Well, let's pray for them right now. And pretty soon we begin to pray. And people begin to get saved all through a food drive. You, when you go to Eagle Pass, is it? I, think, I believe it's every year. Is it Eagle Pass? When you go down there, you don't have to know how to do anything. Can you squeeze a trigger and run a caulk gun? Hammer a nail. Lift up a piece of sheetrock. It's a seemingly small thing, but when you do those seemingly small things, guess what? God has a way of taking a $34 check, turning it into a church, turning it into a mission in Malawi. I'm 73 years old, and I tell Don we're all in our 70s. And I said, Don, do you realize that First Baptist Church, the young people in First Baptist Church, could be the people to take over this ministry? Could it be that we founded it and started it and 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 bless God, we'll stay till we go on to be with glory. But what if, what if that's God opening a door? And what if hundreds of people could go out into the mission field right from this church to Africa? Do you know what the Africans tell me, incidentally? The Africans tell me we want to go pray in America. America is sick, and we want to send missionaries to America. Can you imagine that? We're helping them. They don't even have money to eat, and they want to come to America to preach the gospel. But who knows? They might be America's savior. <laughs> you never know. And the third man, and we, I don't have a clock, so I don't know what time we're at. 
Are we good? Pardon? 943. 9.43? Okay, that's good. <clears throat> we have a half hour in between, too, so we can take that, too, right? <laughs> Give a preacher one hour, he'll take two hours. You know that. That's why pastor told me a certain time, because he knows. Okay. Now, the third person, think about that. So there's Eleazar, and the next one's Shamuel. Shamuel. 2 Samuel 23, 11 through 12, he defended a bean patch. Simple, little, insignificant things. And then he honored another guy by the name of Benaiah, and, and he, the Bible says that he took the fight to the enemy. There was an enemy down in a, in a, in a pit, and this enemy was a lion-like man, hair all over him. I mean, he was a fierce warrior. And, and this man, Benaiah, dumped down into the pit, plucked the spear out of his hand, and killed him with his own spear. And I started thinking about that. Is that not what we're supposed to do? Because the Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. An enemy doesn't take its gates into battle. That tells me we're on the offense. We're attacking. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. And when the enemy comes up and tries to separate and divide you and your family a husband and wife from each other, or a husband and wife from their children, or a family from their church, or a church from their society, or however, he loves to separate and divide. And whenever he separates and divide, if we do the right thing, the thing that he meant used to destroy us will actually bring us closer together. And when we go against the enemy, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why? Because we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Amen. And we have the victory. We take the seemingly insignificant little things, the little opportunities, and we use the word of God. And we allow God to work in and through our life, and we have a victory. There are people sitting here, people watching on Facebook right now that are going through a lot of trials and tribulations. And I want to encourage you to stay in the word of God. To use the promises of God to realize who you are in Christ. You are a more than a conqueror. The enemy is a liar. We have the victory through Jesus. I read the last chapter. The last chapter says, I am victorious. Amen. I may go through ups and downs in this life, but in the end, I'm going to win the victory because I'm with Christ. He's with me. I'm his child. Amen. These were all seemingly insignificant tasks that these people did, and David honored his mighty men who did seemingly insignificant tasks. You and I are the mighty men of the Lord Jesus Christ in this last hour. I believe it more than ever. The Lord is looking for men and women, boys and girls, who will make a stand. You're in church serving the Lord. That says something about you right there. You're making a decision. You're taking an opportunity that you have to come to the house of God. And in the house of God, the Spirit of God is going to move and, and he'll do a miracle in your life, perhaps right here while we're worshiping. You'll be challenged. You'll hear the word of God. It'll change your life in some way. It's seemingly a little thing going to church. We were at church one time and a little boy came up to me and he says, where's that man over there that sits over there with the glasses? And I thought, how is it that a little boy who doesn't even know the name of somebody who sits in a certain place misses him in church? That man who came to church with the glasses that sat in a certain place influenced that boy in some way. And that boy knew when he wasn't in church, just going to the house of God could make a difference. Hello. Seemingly insignificant little things that we do. So I ask you again, what's in your hand? And whatever it is, I challenge you to use it for the glory of God.
a worldwide revival started with a little girl who was afraid to stand up, who said, oh, I do love Jesus. It started a revival that went around the world. Think about seemingly insignificant things. A little boy's lunch fed 4,000 people plus women and children. A little girl went and told Naaman about a prophet that was in Israel. The man was healed because of that. A seem- we don't even know the girl's name. A seemingly small thing just testifying to the man. When that general, Naaman, got healed, it says Syria no longer came to Israel from as long as he lived and did them wrong. The Bible is full of seemingly insignificant small things. Jesus said, a cup of water given in my name. He didn't say a gallon of water, a 50-gallon drum of water, a big truck of water. He said just a seemingly insignificant little cup of water given in my name, you'll receive a reward. So I want to challenge us. What's in our hand? What opportunities do we have? 